Uh, as we move into the sermon, we have a guest preacher with us, thankful to have Pastor Matt Hawkins from Desert Springs Bible Church with us. Uh, some of you know this, but Desert Springs Bible is an advisory church for us and comes alongside us as a newer church. And uh, Brad mentioned we lost uh, a significant person in our church two weeks ago, uh, Chris Laurent, our production lead. And uh, Chris and I were close friends. He wasn't just a member or a leader in our church. He was a friend. And sometimes pastors need a pastor uh, all the time, uh, but in particular seasons. And, and this is a season where I need that. And I'm jumping back in uh, preaching next Sunday, but I'm so thankful to have Pastor Matt here to sub in for me today. And he's been here before. Uh, some of you guys have heard him, and he's going to really bless me and you with God's word this morning. So would you welcome Pastor Matt up to speak for us? by your presence, God. We thank you for giving us an opportunity to breathe in and to breathe out, to sit here, to stand, and hear about something bigger than ourselves. We know that it's not because we're super cool or really awesome or that we're always perfect or we're kind to everyone. We know it's because you're good. And your mercy endures forever. And your grace is sufficient. We celebrate you. We thank you. We honor you. We are humbled by your presence here. We are humbled by the opportunity to even hear from your word. Bread of heaven. Bread of heaven. Feed us until we want no more. God, please supply information in this moment that is life-giving, that will help us in our relationships, that will help us in a hectic time, that will help us in the holiday season, family members that we love, some that we don't like much, a bunch of plans and airplanes and end of quarter and end of year and some business owners in the room, they're trying to figure out what 2019 is, is going to look like and parents in the room trying to figure out what they're going to do with their kids and so many different things going on. We thank you that we can cast all of our care, all of our concern, all of our anxiety upon you for you care for us. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. It's a lot more of you guys than what I saw earlier. Hey, everybody. <laughs> um, my name is Matthew Hawkins. I'm from Oakland, California, but I've been in Phoenix for four years. And I'm starting to feel like a Phoenician. <laughs> I love this time of year. As, as Pastor Tim just finished saying, this is awesome. So glad it's not June. Hallelujah. Thank God it ain't June. Um, I'm from Desert Springs Bible Church, an associate pastor there, um, preach about a third of the time, so it's good to be able to come and preach a little more over here. Um, I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 12. 
I'm going to walk through scriptures um, most of the time. So if you want to keep it open, that's a really, really good idea. Today, we're going to be talking about peace. When I was a kid, we used to, you know, hold up two fingers when we greeted people, say, what's up, man? And we, we call it the peace sign. So today, we're talking about peace. Hey, hey, look at the person next to you and tell them to calm down. <laughs> guys, we can, we can have a good time. You guys can laugh. It's okay. <laughs> Nothing crazy is happening. We just got a Bible here. We're going to talk about Jesus. Everybody just relax, right? I don't have great jokes, but just humor me a little bit. Man. <laughs> All right. So today, 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 we're talking about peace. And anytime you think about peace, you probably are already entering into a space of anxiety or fear, right? The opposite of peace is being anxious, um, being afraid. Fear is not, beyond popular belief, fear is not your friend. And anxiety is not an anchor. I said that because when I first got married in 2007, um, I knew nothing about anxiety or fear. I had no clue what real anxiety or stress was. No clue. Up until that point, you know, you're a teenager. You, you know, I got married at, at 20, 21 years old. Uh, and so I, I was, you know, young and Jesus follower. And, and, you know, I just pray about it, everything. Just pray about it, you know. And, and, and I was always a positive person. I was like the, the life of the party, you know. Even in college, you know, I was that guy that, you know, anytime somebody looked down, I would always try to give them an encouraging word, whether they were far from God or close to Jesus. I was that guy. I was like Mr. Positive. And then I got married. <laughs> yeah, I said it. And you know it's true. I said it. You don't have to look at the person next to you, but I'm speaking the truth right now. I got married, and here's the problem. My expectations, people get the feelings hurt because they have unmet expectations. In case you didn't know that, you might want to write that down. People get their feelings hurt because of unmet expectations. My expectations of me being a husband were up here. I thought I would be the world's greatest husband, world's greatest father. That's another sermon. My expectations were I would be patient, I would be kind, I would be long-suffering, I would be all of these things. And then she said something that I didn't like, and it hurt my feelings. <laughs> and then she did something that I didn't like, and I was uneasy. And then it was Tuesday, and then Friday, and then two years, and then... I started getting worried, like bills and, and higher expectations and babies, more expectation. This thing called a burden. I never understood what that word meant until marriage, like, like the weight of life. This was like, this was like adulting 
times a, a billion. This is why people say, don't get married at 20. Don't have kids at 20, you know? Anxiety, stress. I remember one time it got so bad that I literally did not want to get out of the bed. We're laughing, right? But if you think about it, some of y'all have been there. So heavy, so stressful that you just don't want to deal with it. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. My story in 2007, 2008, middle of the recession, graduate from college, super broke, full-time wife, brand new baby. Moving to California, unemployment rate for a black man was 18%. No job, no opportunity, a ton of stress. And I'm grateful for passages like this. This Philippians passage, it's it's, uh, a passage that kind of recalibrates my heart. We're going to get to it. In just a moment, there's, there's something amazing that you'll see throughout Scripture of how the Bible responds to anxiety and fear. It's pretty clear how the Bible positions itself or what the Bible believes or what the Bible teaches that we should do or, or how we should approach fear and anxiety. Passage of scripture that, that, that really encourages my heart around this idea of peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. This is Jesus talking. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I read that scripture in an, in an introductory sense because it says not as the world gives. If you look at a self-help book, if you look at doing your best life or, you know, living my best life, you know, if you, if you are all about living your best life or you're into this motivational speaking, everything is all about suppression. It's all about clearing your head, right? Taking a vacation, pulling away. And as we'll see in the text, it's it's completely different. The, what, what Jesus suggests is, is very countercultural, very, very opposite of, of what the world says you should do when you are overwhelmed or when you are afraid. Not as the world gives. Jesus says, I give you peace, not as the world gives. How does the world give peace? What does the world suggest? How do they suggest that that you calm down or you you relieve stress? Well, in my experience, it's, it's something having to do with a bottle or a blunt, over medicating, getting away from people, telling people to leave me alone. Netflix and chill. Here's a question. 
How do you deal with stress, with anxiety, with fear? How, what do you do? What's your go-to? Not, not the Jesus answer. I want to know the real answer. What do you do when it's so hard or you're so overwhelmed and all the other options have been <clears throat> explored? They didn't work. Is it possible to truly have peace, to live a life free of anxiety and fear? Is it possible, as the scripture just said, is it possible for love to cast out fear? Is that, is that really possible? Well, watch as we explore Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 12. We're going to see three things here. The substance of peace, what peace is really made of. We're going to see the self-discipline of peace, kind of what's required if you're going to have a peaceful life. <laughs> and then, then finally, what's the secret of peace? And that's kind of obvious. It's right in the text. Secret is just to make it sound cool, but it's not really a secret. It just happens to be a word that's used in the text towards the end. In this particular book, Paul is writing to the Philippians, and he's telling them, thanks for the love. Pretty simple letter. Thanks for supporting me. Thanks for having my back. I don't know if anybody's ever been locked up or ever been alone or ever been far away from their family or, or, or ever been away to college and, and kind of your community or your tribe forgot about you, didn't reach out. I don't know if anybody's ever been in the hospital and after the first visit, there were no more visits. Paul is in a similar situation, but he's literally locked up. Paul's in prison. And he's writing to the, to the Philippians, and he's saying, thank you for the love. Thank you for the support. Thank you for not forgetting about me. But it gets a little crazy as, as you're reading Philippians chapter 4, because he says something like this. He says, thank you for the love, but I didn't need it. He says, he says, thank you for the support, but if you didn't do it, I was good because I know how to get down. <laughs> Getting a little ahead of myself, but the, but the Philippians show love. They gave support to Paul as, as he's in prison and he's writing them and he's encouraging them in their, in their faith. This is one of the, the, the most beautiful passages in Scripture that talk about peace. This isn't, this isn't the first passage in the Bible that talks about peace. We see peace all throughout Scripture. It says in the Old Testament, uh, first, first half of the Bible um, talks a lot about shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. Shalom usually referred to a, a relationship between between God and his people. Find it in Genesis chapter 34. Peace is a desired status in the Old Testament. Um, a lot of wars, a lot of battles that, that you'll see in, in the First Testament, and, and peace is often talked about in that context. New Testament, you will see that, that this idea of Advent isn't just something that we, 
we made up. You know, it's, it's pretty clear that Isaiah prophesied about this dude named Jesus that was kind of more than a dude, kind of a bigger deal than just a regular old man. This was the God man. This was the coming Messiah, not in a political sense, but in a whole global domination universe transformation since the Jews were kind of focused on Jesus being their new political leader and making all things right. But Jesus came not for politics, but he came to bring peace in a painful situation for those who were lost and destitute. We clearly see peace all throughout scripture. You can't avoid Luke chapter 2 was, which was my favorite line back in the day at Bethel Missionary Baptist Church in East Oakland under the leadership of Dr. Herbert Geis during the Christmas plays. We used to fight over that line, peace and goodwill. We used to, we used to want to say that line and that, that just can't get out of my head. I didn't even know what that meant then, but I needed it in 2007 and 2008. And I don't know about some of you guys, but, but you're probably like, man, let's get to the peace part because I need some of that. And so let's just jump in. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Peace in this passage is defined as calm, rest. Peace in this passage is, is typically defined as fair, mild, some level of inner calm or inner equilibrium, poise. Have you ever seen someone that, that just lacked poise? Like, like every time something bad happened, they freak out. They freak out about the TV. They freak out about driving. They freak out about just the sunshine. They just freak out. They're just, I'm not talking about anybody here. <laughs> Peace is defined as poise, as calm. In, 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 in this text, it, it also, if you look at verse 7, it's defined as a sense of being protected, being covered, being, being taken care of. Christian peace is different from the world's peace, and, and I'm taking this from a pastor. Um, there's, this, there's this pastor that, that basically said, you've, you've heard that life is, is, is like a bunch of seasons back to back, Right? He says to his congregation, he says, you know, some of you guys have said life is like going through winter. It's a hard season. And then you get to spring and things get a little better. He says, that sounds great, but, but I don't really believe it. The pastor says, life is more like, like, like two train tracks that are parallel to one another. Got a train track here and a train track there. They're right side by side. One train track is doom and gloom. It's, it's bad. It's a bad train track. And the other train track is, is good. It's beautiful. It's awesome. This pastor says both train tracks 
they're constantly parallel for your entire life. And, and, and they're two, two trains that are constantly flowing this entire time. Bad stuff always going on. Good stuff always going on. Whether it's Monday, whether it's Saturday, whether it's New Year's, don't matter. Good stuff is going on. Bad stuff's going on. He said the optimists, they focus on the good, the good train track. The pessimists, they focus on the bad. They focus on the bad train track. He says Jesus followers, Christians, they see both train tracks. They see the good and they see the bad. Kind of like Neo in a Matrix movie, they see real life. But they choose to focus on the good. I don't know about any of you guys, but that's, that's helpful for me because it's not that stay positive, think good thoughts, ignoring the weeds in the front lawn. And it's not Debbie Downer, negative Nancy, I'm just focused on all the real stuff that's going on in life. I'm a realist. But it's a sober way of looking at it. The scripture, actually, this pastor t- takes that from scripture. It's right here in Philippians chapter 4. Christians know the ups and downs of life, but they choose to focus on the good, not because they can in and of themselves, but because of God enabling them to do it. Listen, friends, there are seasons of life, there are times in your life where you will not be able to do it. There should have been an amen right there. And you need something bigger than you to enable you to navigate tough times in life. What is peace? Substance of peace. What does peace consist of? Peace, Christian peace consists of poise. Poise that's not naive, but a calm that's not naive, but a resolve that's not naive, but it's aware of the good and the bad, and it chooses to focus on things above and not on things beneath. Substance of peace, pretty clear, but what is the self-discipline of peace? Like, how does that whole thing work? Like, how do I, how do, I do peace? <laughs> how, does, how is peace done? Well, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Self-discipline of peace, you can find the first part in chapter 4, verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I'll say it again. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Hey, bro, how do I do this peace thing? Cool talk, but I need some practical stuff. Learn. Peace isn't talent. Peace is taught. Peace isn't talent, not something that you're born with, 
Not something that only the rich people have. Not something that only broke people have. Peace is something that can be taught. It's not something that you naturally have. Here in the text, it's pretty clear that this can be learned. I don't know about you guys, but I was kind of talking about myself as that perpetual guy who freaks out about things. I freak out about everything. Ask my wife. She'll, she'll tell you. I freak out about everything. But this, this verse is encouraging to me because it tells me that I don't have to stay there, that, that I have an ability from God to learn this thing. Peace isn't a born talent. And anything that can be taught, at some point, is going to be tested. And in life, our ability to have peace only through God will be tested. It's my favorite Mike Tyson quote. I say it all the time. Everybody's got plans until they get punched in the face. one of Mike Tyson's brightest moments. <laughs> Everybody's got a five-point plan and a 30, 60, 90, and a strategic process until life happens. Until, until life happens. I love this because through life, I can learn as I walk with Jesus how to have peace and as I'm tested, as experienced, as 2007 marriage happens, it took me some time 12 years later, but I've learned. <laughs> learned. I've learned over time. I'm serious. I'm laughing. It's nervous laughter, but I'm serious. I've learned. <laughs> what you have learned and received and have heard, seen me. This is Paul talking to Jesus' followers, he's saying, practice these things. Who's ever told you in a discipleship group to practice peace? Who's ever encouraged you to, to practice being gentle and reasonable? Who's ever said, hey, bro, how's that practice going? I'm not talking about basketball. I'm talking about peace. We're not talking about hot yoga <laughs> We're talking about something that gets a little deeper than that suppression, think good thoughts, be positive. Hey, all that's great, but it doesn't penetrate the soul. What, what, what Paul is talking about here, he's, he's, he's basically saying that this is something that, that is to be learned. I got to push it. It says also not only to be learned, but what's, what's the substance of peace, what's, what's within peace is thinking. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, verse 8, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Not the only place, but that's one of the major places in, in these short verses where it encourages us to think. This is countercultural, people. This is a big deal. 
This is a massive deal because when you're scrolling Instagram or you're looking on Facebook, no, nobody does this anymore. When you're scrolling Facebook, it is so easy. It is the easiest thing in the world to not think. I mean, Christians get a bad rap. Christians get a terrible rap. They say that Jesus' followers don't think. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture encourages us to think. And what should we be thinking about? We should be thinking about creation. We should be thinking about fall. We should be thinking about redemption. We should be thinking about restoration. We should be looking at life and thinking about life through the lenses of Scripture. Creation, Genesis, first part of the Bible. Fall, still in Genesis, first part of the Bible. We messed it up. God created a perfect, beautiful, awesome world. And then man, man jacked things up. But that wasn't the end. There's this man named Jesus. Y'all falling asleep. I got to wake you up. Jesus, who came to redeem, who came to make all things right again. That's why we're celebrating. That's why we're excited because redemption came. The superhero came. The one in a Batman suit came. And we were falling, and he caught us just in the nick of time. It was a cross that caught us. And then as Jesus Christ returns, all things will be restored. Thinking, how do we think through the gospel narrative? How do we think through scripture as it relates to the anxiety that's in front of us? I used to argue, maybe this is a testimony, the whole sermon is going to be a testimony today. I, I used to argue with my wife back and forth, and I hated to lose. Let me help a marriage in here. Just, just keep looking forward. I hated to lose. I was stubborn, believe it or not. I know you guys can't believe that, but I was stubborn. It was all about me. It was like, it was like Matthew worship. It's all about me. It was my ego. And so I would argue and argue, and it would just break her heart. The whole Ephesians thing, and husbands, love your wives, and like Christ loved the church, and give yourself. I was like, Jesus, ain't nobody got time for giving. Yo, did you hear what she said, Jesus? You, she, I ain't got time to be giving myself. She, she's, get her, Jesus, get her. That was 2007. That's why it was terrible. <laughs> but I'm challenged right here in the text to think through things in, in a gospel way, through scripture. What does that mean? That means, hey, Matthew, you're not on the throne. He's on the throne. And if you look like the idiot, just look like the idiot. Just take the L. Humble yourself. Matthew, I know I'm not preaching to y'all, I'm just preaching to me. Humble yourself. What does that mean? I'm just trying to give you a clear example of what it means to look through, because when you look through, here's another example. Certain things over the past 12 years have been lost in my marriage. Loss is something that makes me really fearful and anxious. But if I'm only thinking about this loss in the here and now, 
and I'm not thinking through this loss biblically, there is no hope. But when I look through scripture and I think about loss and tragedy and challenge and drama and unexpected things, if I look through scripture and see life through the lens of scripture, there's hope. There's tons of hope. And that breeds in me peace. Because I know, this is something that Pastor Caleb says all the time, if you ever show up to Desert Springs, this is, his, this is his thing. In 150 years, will it matter? In 1,000 years, will it matter? Now, if people don't believe in Jesus, this is, this is annoying, right? This is really stupid. Why are we talking about 1,000 years from now, bro? We only got 50 more. We only have 75 more. Those are folks that don't have hope. And no disrespect, at one point in my life, I did not have hope. But then I met this man named Jesus. According to this passage, that was peace that surpasses all understanding. And so my hope wasn't in winning an argument for the here and now. And my hope wasn't in holding on to something for the here and now with my expectations and with my vision and my view of how this should go. No. My hope. I got to calm down. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus his blood, righteousness. I, I don't know about you, but I don't know another option. <laughs> I, I love when, when, when one of the disciples was asked, are you going to leave too? One, one of the disciples, these were, these were Jesus' homies. These were Jesus' followers. One of the disciples is asked, are you going to leave too? And they respond, they said, and they say, Lord, where are we going to go? <laughs> Basically looking at him and saying, you got the keys to eternal life. My question to you, whether you're a skeptic, whether you're far from God, or whether you're just in a tough time as a Jesus follower right now, what's the other option? So, so there's, there's learning, substance of peace. Uh, a self, the self-discipline of peace. How do you do peace? There's, there's, there's learning. There's uh, thinking. Then, then we also see verse 4 and 6. There's this idea of celebrating and thanking. It says rejoice. I've said it a bunch of times. Hopefully it's getting into your head. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Again I say Rejoice. I'm trying to say it as much as possible. Rejoice. You know, it's a song. Celebrate good time. Come on. Dun, 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 dun. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> Rejoice. Rejoice. Why are we rejoicing? Why am I rejoicing? What's to celebrate about? Why am I 
Wee! Like, why? In the Lord. Listen, I got a beautiful family. I got four beautiful kids. My wife is awesome, beautiful, great life. Sometimes I, I just can't see that. Sometimes within myself and within my own ability, I just can't see how much God has blessed me. I love this part of the text because first, first place I should be rejoicing is in the Lord. Why, why would we first need to rejoice in the Lord? I would even push it. Why, why should our premier celebration, our primary celebration, should I say, be in the Lord? Because in God, that's the only place that, that we can maintain it forever. God just said something right there. Everything else will not last. I love my wife. I love my four kids, even though they're bad sometimes. Don't tell them I said that. <laughs> I love them. But if, but if God wants to take little Joe, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be real angry. <sighs> but my primary joy, my primary hope, my main anchor is in him. I don't know if you've ever been fired from a job before. I have. I don't know if you guys have ever lost money before. A lot of it, I have. Ooh, that does something to you. Especially when you got to drive home and you got to tell your wife. That was like 2010. You got to like, <laughs> you got to drive home and you got to tell your wife, babe. She's like, why are you home so early? Well, see, what happened was... Uh, you know, man, my boss be tripping, babe. You don't understand. <laughs> if it's if your joy, if your hope, if your peace is predicated upon things that are constantly shifting, you're setting yourself up for immense failure, depression. And hopelessness. It's basically like going out to sea without a rudder and just relying on the sail. You're like, take me wind and waves. Wherever the wind blows is where my emotion goes. That's a hard morning. That's a hard look in the mirror. That's tough. But when there's something that's guiding you, that's bigger than you, that's worth celebrating. Text says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Still trying to recover from Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. 
What is the self-discipline of peace? Be a learner. Be a thinker. Celebrate. Keep on thinking. I love what the text says, though. It says, thank at the same time you're making a request. Why would I celebrate and thank while I'm making a request? I haven't got nothing yet. Like I'm asking God for something and the text is encouraging me to thank while I'm asking. I haven't gotten anything yet. I tell my kids, when I hand them something, they say, thank you. I handed little Joe, like I was just talking about, I handed him a juice box just yesterday and he grabbed it and I held it. And he's looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) And I gave him that look like, you know what you're supposed to say? And he said, oh, thank you. And then I let it go. And then he just walked away. Said, stupid dad, you know. (laughs) My juice box. But my expectation of what I'm teaching him is to thank after he gets. You follow. The text says, thank, celebrate before. It's not about the thing. It's not about the gift. It's about the giver. Some of us have some mean, anxiety-filled lives. And And I've been there. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been there where I'm, 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 I'm idolizing the next thing. And once I get that, then I get a new idol. If I can just get there, and then we get there. If I can just make it there, and then we get there. If I can just, and, and God's like, is there anybody that's going to give me worship, Matthew, today? It's like all about the next. If we can just hit this number, if we can just, if we can just have this much in our bank account, or if, if, our, if our marriage could just get here, if I could just get little, little Joe here, get him reading. When I was in college, if, if, if I could just get these grades and then hopefully get into my master's program, and if I could just do, and if I can, and it's like this like carrot that's just dangled in front of me, and I don't even know who I am anymore. It's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for yet another thing, another carrot. Thank you, Jesus, for another carrot. Thank you for another carrot. Thank you for another carrot. He's like, that has nothing to do with me or relationship. You're results-oriented. You're not relationship-oriented. It's all about the results. It's not about the relationship. This text screams relationship. How do you celebrate? How do you live a life of gratitude? The self-help books can't get it for you. The text is screaming, it's in him. It's in him. Rejoice in the Lord always again. In case you forgot, again I say, rejoice. Pushes says, make your request with thanksgiving. Last one and then we out of here. Don't be anxious about anything. Translation, have peace. How do you have peace? Through prayer, through supplication, thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known. Two things right there, prayer and requests. When I was a kid in Sunday school, at the end of Sunday school, they would always say, 
Anybody got prayer requests? Anybody have a prayer request? Just stick them together. I love this text. They're in two separate places. Prayer is what we do when we talk to God. That's what prayer is. The text is saying that our prayer is mainly for us to know that he's the one that's got the power. He's the one that has the ability. He's the one that's in control. And when things go bad and when things are challenging, I do my best to honor God and to manage what he's given me to manage. But at some point, I got to be honest and say, this is him. This, this is not me. It's his ability. It's not my ability. It's his move. It's not my move. Sometimes it's tough for me to get into bed and stop my brain from going. And I just got to pray that prayer. Lord, you know. Help me go to sleep. Fix it, Jesus. Take the will, Jesus. I need you to get this one. Actually, I need you to get all of them, really. Prayer says you're not God. He is. A poor prayer life, a terrible prayer life puts me on the throne, puts Matthew as Mr. Fix-It, Mr. Got-It-All-Together, and it puts Jesus secondary, puts God secondary. But when I enter into prayer, it reminds me that he's in control and he's God and he's got this. The other thing that prayer does, it is the only cure that I know of for constant worry. If there's anybody here that constantly worries, it's going to be hard for you to have peace. The only way to combat worry, according to the text, is to consistently pray. And the worry is kind of a reminder for the prayer. Every time I start to get anxious and I start to worry, I say, God, I need you. Here, here, here I go again. Five o'clock. Here I, here I go again. 501. God, <laughs> here I go again. 510. God. <laughs> I mean, it says pray without ceasing. That's what my Bible said. It means pray without stopping, like consistently have a habit of prayer. I'm out of time. The big secret of peace is found in verse 12. I'm going to read it and I'm going to pray. Paul is telling them, thank you for the love, but I want you to understand that whether I got the love or not, whether I got what would be helpful, whether I got something that would be helpful, it would be helpful, it would be useful for the support. Support's cool. But he's like, I want you to know whether I got it or not, whether I get it or not, I know how to be up. I know how to be down. <laughs> says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned. I've experienced the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The 
secret is that his ability wasn't predicated upon the gift of those people. Wasn't based on whether he was up or down. It was recession proof. Peace was, re- was recession proof. His life was recession proof. Because it was based on something that was unmovable. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much that our peace, that our excitement around this season isn't based on how big the tree is or what's underneath the tree. But we know that it's, it's all about you. And we know that if you didn't come and you didn't give your life for us, there would be no hope. If you didn't endure a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and forego your peace so that we could have peace, we wouldn't have an opportunity to live forever. So we thank you. We thank you, God, that um, no matter what's happening, you are more than enough. I pray for every single person that can hear me right now and, and those that are in this room that you will just comfort them, just wrap your arms of love around them, remind them that it is you who is the author and the finisher of our faith. No matter how organized they are, doesn't matter how nuanced they are, doesn't matter how much they plan, stuff's going to happen. Unexpected things are going to come up. There's always going to be something that we're afraid of. But God, I thank you that we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be bound by anxiety. We don't have to be controlled. It is a fight. It is challenging. It isn't just do these seven things and we're, we're good. It is, it is challenging. But we thank you that you take on all of this. We thank you. You, you just bear all of this for us. We give you praise. Thank you for this season of Advent. Give us strength as we enter into yet another week. Pray God we'll go into it celebrating and with gratitude that we'll rejoice. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.